Listen up. Welcome to the PowerShell Podcast. It's going to be an intense, kind of scary ride. The podcast for PowerShell and the PowerShell community. The PowerShell Podcast is a PDQ production, making device management simple, secure, and pretty damn quick. And now, here's your host, Andrew Plaw. What is up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the PowerShell Podcast. We have an awesome guest today, but first we have some pre-show content, and it's a little bit more than normal, so I'm just going to get right into it. First things first, we have an upcoming Gainesville PowerShell user group, February 13th at 7 p.m. Eastern. It's on taming Git and GitHub with PowerShell, and that is going to be with our speaker, Sean Wheeler from Microsoft. And look for him in next next week's PowerShell podcast episode. We're going to have an interview with him. A lot of good stuff there. Actually, at the time of recording this, last night, we had a Gainesville PowerShell meetup. Uh, the first one of the year, very excited to get those consistently. We're going to do one virtual and one in-person every month. Uh, maybe a couple months we'll miss the in-person due to holidays or something like that. But that's our goal. Um, looking forward to seeing you at the virtual one on the 13th. And shout out to Angel Perez. He is the co-host or the co-leader of the user group with me. And he gave an awesome presentation last night. Um, he's more in the early stages of his PowerShell journey and was very open about some of the things he's struggling with, some of the things that have been helpful. And he crushed it. You know, he's he took the advice of you got to get out there and start doing things. And he's doing it. And he has awesome energy. So if you see Angel around, give him a shout out. Um, a lot of good people were there last night. Shout out to Tony, who hired me for my first job based on a Reddit post that I responded to and got me started in IT. Yeah, good times. Look forward to seeing you at more of those in the future. Now it's time for the tip of the week. And this week is brought to you by the guest that I'll introduce in a little bit, Spencer Alessi. And the tip is, and this was shared on Twitter, I have a link to it in the show notes if you want to see the tweet. I got some good responses on community tips. Unless you want to obfuscate your code or frustrate your friends, use full command lists instead of aliases. Fantastic advice. Um, you know, Using shorthand is fine in the terminal, but if you're sharing things out, just make it clear. It's, it's certainly the best approach. Second tip, a two-parter here. The best way to learn PowerShell is to build something that solves a problem you have or that scratches an itch or something you're really interested in creating. That is exactly what I say all the time. You got to find a problem and then solve it with PowerShell. It's a lot easier to get through the barriers you're going to run into if there's actually something you're looking forward to on the end. Um, also, I love suggesting something that has a graphical component in some way. Those are a lot more fun and interactive, like a TUI or a GUI of some sort. Those can be fun projects where even if the task it's solving isn't super helpful, it feels powerful to like create something you can click on. Another announcement, PowerShell. So there's PowerShell, there's Wordle. We have PS Wordle and some cool options in PowerShell, but we're taking this to the browser. PowerShell.com, Sheldle. DLE at the end of PowerShell is here. Some friends at work made it. Uh, you can learn some new commands, have some fun. Basically, it's like Wordle for PowerShell commands as you type them. And if you get a wrong answer, it'll give you slow hints. It starts with giving you the verb and then it follows up by giving you the parameters and then the help. So cool, cool little resource to check out. I'm definitely doing it every single day and sharing my results in the PowerShell scripting channel of the PDQ Discord, which you can get to at pdq.com. Oh, sorry, excuse me, discord.gg slash pdq. Uh, we have a PowerShell scripting channel. It's been popping off lately. Look forward to seeing more of you in there. This week, we have a viewer question. So I was talking to my man, Derek Bellinger. He hit up PowerShell at pdq.com. 
we were having a nice back and forth and he asked me what my PowerShell story was. And I think I shared it briefly in episode one. My mic quality was kind of crappy. We were sort of new to things, but I wanted to give it for our new listeners to kind of let you know who I am and, and how sort of I got to this spot that I'm in now talking to you. So back in the day, like maybe six, seven years ago, I heard about PowerShell here and there, kind of just assumed it was just for geniuses. I didn't really do any coding or anything like that. I think in MDT, like I looked at a PowerShell script and was confused. Eventually discovered PowerShell in a month of lunches and started dabbling a little bit. It got sort of confused at some chapters and kind of stopped and was just running single commands and slowly was making headway, but I wasn't able to just sit down and do it. I was, wasn't was able to push through that stuff. Um, I discovered the PDQ blog. PDQ is where I work now, and they provide us with this lovely podcast. I discovered they had a blog and a webcast where they would talk about PowerShell a lot and automation, and I used their products. So it was kind of like, oh, wait, these people who are super into automation are super into PowerShell, and they were doing fun things with it, like creating a Spotify playlist, pranking your coworkers, all kinds of cool stuff that was like, okay, okay, there's more here. Um, I actually pushed forward on Learn PowerShell and Script the month, month of Lunches. Uh, I listened to a bunch of the Power Scripting podcast. I was geeking out on it, listening to old episodes, catching up. I sort of fell in love with PowerShell along the way. My first task was to do like some Git 80 computer with select object and all kinds of fanciness. And I didn't do so well at that. But eventually, started writing some modules and having some success there. Uh, eventually, I saw that from Don Jones on Twitter that there was a PowerShell Summit scholarship. And so what I did was I got a babysitter for my kids and I sat down with my wife and I came up with my application because um, I really didn't want to pass down the opportunity and I applied. Fast forward a few months later, I was selected to attend. And this was sort of a pretty big deal uh, for me because PowerShell Summit was the summit for all the experts. There was no on-ramp program at the time. So I had to like really upskill quickly to be able to be ready to take advantage of the opportunity. And I ended up going to Summit. It was the best week ever. It was so great in so many ways, like on a professional level, on a personal level. It was so good. I ended up giving a small lightning demo on some code that I worked on with Fred from Microsoft Now, the security guy. Uh, presented there, and Jeffrey Snover was there, and I was super scared. I started blogging after that. I think my first blog post was about Summit and my experience and it sort of took off from there. I did a lot more blogging, wrote a chapter in the PowerShell conference book, started speaking at more conferences, started the user group um, with someone I met there, Andrew Carey. So a lot of good connections came from Summit for me. Eventually got more into PowerShell, got hired at PDQ, started doing the podcast here with Jordan about two years ago, and just been all PowerShell ever since. I've been given a lot from this community. I, I feel very fortunate. Um, I sort of came up as a beginner and was taken under the wings of a lot of people, received a lot of great mentorship, was able to be part of a community that was okay with people trying things and making mistakes and growing. And so a lot of what I do now is just trying to repay that because uh, it's been so great to me. And, and belonging in the PowerShell community has been fantastic for my career. I've experienced a lot of professional and personal growth throughout it all. And um, I really am just so humbled to be part of this PowerShell community. And I'm humbled that we have people like you as well in our PowerShell community. So there's that. That's uh, my little journey in PowerShell. Thank you for asking, Derek. Hope you all enjoyed that. But today, we have a fantastic guest. We have a hacker, pen tester, whiz bang exploit slinger hiding in the shadows. He's the co-host of the Cyber Threat 
Perspective podcast. He does offensive security things at Secure IT 360, doing some pen testing stuff. Welcome to the podcast, Spencer. Hey, it's me. Thanks. Thanks for having me on. Uh, yeah, I'm, I appreciate it. You're tech Spence on socials too. That's me. Yeah. And I'm Andrew Plotek. So I'm like a tech <laughs> brethren. Yes. I like it. I like it. Now, um, you know, I was listening to a pre-show and I, I, well, first thing, like we were talking about before we hit record was, you know, no prior background in like broadcasting or whatever, but like, you're very natural at it. You're like, you're very good and kind of, uh, I like your style with, with, uh, like broadcasting and like speaking and stuff like that. And, um, super good job. And, uh, I just appreciate you having me on. Uh, I know the guests that you've had on the show and, uh, yeah, I'm excited to, to chat and look forward to it. And another thing with the PowerShell stuff is I think everybody who knows PowerShell or learned has probably watched those PowerShell in a month of lunches or whatever the YouTube series, uh, series is, um, super awesome. I like, like anybody who knows PowerShell probably has gone through those videos. Yep. Yep. There's definitely a lot of shared resources that so many of us kind of came up on and it's really just holds a special place in your heart. But yeah, I'm excited. You are my first podcaster guest because you host <laughs> congrats on 97 episodes, I think. Yeah, 97 total and 77 are actually, or something like that, a little bit less, are actually like episodic where we talk about a specific topic. Some of the other ones were like stuff that's happening in the news or like current events or, or things like that. So like 70-ish, 77-ish that are actually like episodic, specific type of topic stuff. But uh, yeah, it's been fun. Yeah, no, I enjoyed listening to some of them. And I, I like your perspective on things. You seem very open and you you get the thing that I like that the PowerShell community gets of like contributing, not gatekeeping knowledge, sharing. Um, so it's cool to see that in the security space, which I, I know they are pretty good in a lot of ways and trying to be. Yep. Yeah, be. definitely. That, that's that been my whole goal with the podcast is to, to bring value, right? Um, every episode, I want to make sure that we're giving some information or providing value in some way, shape or form to people who are listening. Um, Cause that's why I listen to podcasts is like for a little nugget of information or wisdom or perspective or inspiration or something. And that's my way of kind of giving back in that way. Yeah. And those little nuggets, all it takes is a small little tip or a phrase here and there that can have huge value. Um, yeah. it, it really is surprising how small it needs to be, but you just have to be able to hear those conversations and expose yourself to the opportunity to learn new things. And, and a lot of good stuff can come from it. Yeah. And somebody could say the same, like you and I can say the same thing. We just say it differently, but it clicks with somebody else listening to how you say it more than how I would say it. Right. And, you know, it's the beauty of like, you know, content and stuff like this is like you say one thing and inspire somebody, they create something and then they get back and, you know, it's awesome. Yeah. One thing I saw that you're big on is encouraging people and security and stuff like that to start blogging. And a lot of times people are like, oh, everything's been written about before. But like you're saying, it is very helpful to see things through a new perspective. You can provide insight to people unintentionally just by creating a resource that helps you learn it better. So awesome to see that. Yeah. There's definitely a lot of value in creating blog posts or making videos or writing anything because it helps you think through that process more, helps you think through what your thoughts are on that topic are, right? Um, creative writing, technical writing, you know, having uh, a coherent message and being able to articulate a technical topic maybe that somebody who's not technical can, can understand. So tons of value in that for sure. I love it. Very cool. Well, so you're in security. 
I'm not. I so what's that? <laughs> have you always been in security? Can you give us a little bit about your journey and, and sort of what you do now? Yeah, definitely. So I uh, thought I was going to be a doctor. So way back when I thought I was going to be a doctor following like my father's grandfather's footsteps. Uh, I failed organic chemistry. I failed like genetics courses uh, and I, I didn't enjoy it at all. I hated it. <laughs> and then I was like, well, why don't I just do the thing that I like to do, which is mess around with computers so ended up going the computer route, got a degree in computer science, uh, got a job as, in help desk right out of college, as, as many people probably can resonate with, you know, doing the help desk thing, fixing printers, answering support calls and, and stuff like that. Eventually worked my way up to systems administration. And, and uh, that's kind of where I, I bit my teeth or got my or chomped my teeth on PowerShell was back in the help desk sysadmin days, doing a lot of IT stuff. Um, so learned a lot about PowerShell then and used it quite a bit then. Uh, got into security and I started doing security at that same job or same company. Uh, I was in charge of doing security at an organization for a while. And uh, that got super stressful, as anybody in IT can, can imagine when you have a lot of responsibility, right? And it's all on your shoulders. You know, it, it's, it can be very stressful. So I wanted a little less stress. So I went the consulting, consulting route. So got a job as a consultant, kind of doing similar stuff that I did before, just taking what I had learned and kind of helping other organizations with that. And very quickly, after being like a consultant, I got into uh, the offensive side of things. So pen testing uh, and stuff like that. Um, and that's what I do now. It's pen test stuff. Nice. You use PowerShell sometimes in your engagements? I use PowerShell a lot. And, you know, we were talking, um, it's like, you know, PowerShell is... Seems some some people think PowerShell is kind of passe, like it's it's old news, right? People are using new languages like NIM and Rust, and they're building the, like these cool implants and all this cool stuff. And I'm over here still using like PowerShell and uh, PowerSploit, you know, from like eight years ago or ten years ago now. Um, but I love I love PowerShell. I use it a lot, and there's a lot of different tools I use. That I'm happy to share, but uh, it, it's something that I enjoy a lot uh, and use a lot because I'm usually pen testing windows environments. I'm usually in an active directory world and it just works really well for, for how I do things. Yeah. We've had some episodes in the past about a lot of the great security features and stuff like that in PowerShell that make it locked down. But I think from what you're saying, most environments aren't fully uh, secured in terms of their PowerShell policies. Yeah. And that's something that's interesting is um, I think if you're not aware of those security restrictions, you might think that things like execution policy can prevent malicious use of PowerShell, but you know it really doesn't. It's really just script execution, and, and you can easily bypass those things. So I spend a lot of time talking about PowerShell restrictions, actually, in my pen tests. PowerShell is you know, very widely available, and it's, I don't see it uh, as commonly locked down as, as I think it could be. So I spend a lot of time talking with people about it, educating on you know, how these restrictions can help and how you can kind of get around them and kind of what to look for um, when those things are bypassed. So I spent a lot of time on that. Nice. So for those, and are you doing physical pen testing or you're like, you're given a little bit of access and you go from there? So uh, we do, our, our team does do physical pen testing. Uh, I don't uh, do it right now. I mostly focus on internal Windows, Active Directory, internal networks, um, that kind of thing. That's kind of my specialty. But as a team, we do, but I don't um, uh, myself. Cool. So I've never 
been on the receiving end of one of these. Can you kind of give me like a little bit of your perspective? What's what's it like for you? You get access to a certain thing and you're told like generate a report, try and get in, show us what we need to shore up. What's it like? Yeah, so my my thing is internal pen testing. So it's an internal network and uh, I like to use an assume breach methodology. Now, assume breach might means different things to different people. Uh, some pen test firms, some uh, firms will will consider it more of a red team where it's kind of like a full scope thing. You're kind of testing response capabilities of the blue team. And Assume Breach is essentially a red team with seeded access. Some firms like, like myself um, kind of think of it more on the pen test side of things, where you're trying to find kind of attack paths or, or many vulnerabilities in an environment. Um, but essentially, I'd, if you have me do a pen test, it'd be an internal pen test where we start from a domain join machine usually uh, with domain user account. And we kind of assume, right, a user is going to click on a link, download malware, something's going to get infected. That's kind of the pr- perspective we start from. So we say, hey, Susie and accounting got compromised. There's, there's something on our system and now threat actors are in your network. What can they do from there, right? What, what's going to happen next? Does my EDR stop it? Um, are there file shares that are wide open that have sensitive data on it? You know, like, are there certificate services, you know, PKI, PKI infrastructure that can be abused, right? So that's kind of the perspective I start from. Um, and uh, there's like a whole methodology that I have for that, but that's kind of what it would look like. So assume breach, I, I hear that more and more in security. I think that's sort of a more assumed thing. I think with all the hacks we're seeing where it's like people have, get access to these big corps in pretty simple ways, I think it's a, a pretty solid uh, kind of understanding to, to go into things with. Have you seen that? Is it a pretty common thing? Yeah, and I think nowadays, you know, something I was thinking about, um, I have in my notes is like, you know, attacks are getting, blue team's getting really good, right? Blue team, the EDR is getting really good, security tools are getting really good. Um, but at the same time, we're still seeing, you know, password spraying and brute forcing and social engineering, right? Um, so assume breach is great because you just assume that that's going to happen. We, we've seen time after time again, attackers are going to get in. Right, they're going to get access to certain things, and assume breach is great because you get to answer that question of what happens next. And it sort of ties into like defense in depth, right? You don't want to just secure the outermost level of your fortress; you want to have it all, all the way down. Yeah, definitely. And one of the things I love about the the way I kind of do it is I look at the very first thing I look at is the endpoint, um, the endpoint that the users are using, because everybody's logging into a machine. They have software on that system. Um, you know, there's things that they do. There's things that they access from that system. And if that system is misconfigured, um, if it's not locked down very well, if the EDR isn't working great or antivirus isn't working great, there's a lot of attack surface there. Um, so I do like 120 point inspection on the endpoint. Like, what can happen here that can go wrong? How long have you been doing pen testing? Uh, let's see here. I've been doing security for a while now, like maybe eight or trying to think when I started up, been doing security specifically for like maybe eight years or something like that. Pen testing the last three ish. Um, and I say ish because, um, my transition to pen testing was like, I was already doing a lot of this, this stuff, like messing around with the tools people had and you're like downloading, you know, get cloning a repo and like messing around with stuff. But then, like officially pen testing um, for probably like three years now, so um, that, that probably pretty close. Are orgs getting better? Like, is the limitation with orgs implementing security 
is it political or like cultural or what are you seeing? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I think in general, as as a whole, I think we are getting better. I think we are getting uh, security tools are getting better. We're getting more visibility into things that can go wrong on the systems that users are using. Um, so I think in general, I think we are getting better. Uh, however, I still see many, many organizations that kind of are are failing at some of the, the more basic things, you know? So I think it's it's kind of like a bell curve, right? Like, you know, there are is there is a significant amount that are getting better. There's some that are still behind the curve. Um, I think it is a little bit cultural, right? I think um, a lot of organizations see security as a cost center only, you know, and they, they don't invest the time, the money, resources in, in developing security and making it better. Um, so I, I think there is that component as well as, as in any, anything, right? In IT, in, you know, marketing and finance, like there are humans and relationships and stuff like that, that, that really bring some of those things down. So that is definitely a component of it. But uh, yeah, I think overall, at least me, it might be like copium or like being super hopeful and being optimistic. But uh, I like to think that things are getting better, um, that our jobs are mattering and we're doing good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think security is so cultural. Do you like security certifications and how they sort of can be used as a way to get people to implement security with funding and all that? In terms of like, you know, like SOC or yeah, yeah, that like type of certification. regulatory stuff? I think it can. I think a lot of those fall short of what actually matters in security. You know, um, I don't know the specifics of some of those regulatory frameworks, but I can speak to like PCI, right? PCI for the longest time, their minimum password uh, policy was like seven or eight, I think it was. And it was like seven or eight characters, you're good. Uh, and there was a lot of other things in PCI, the earlier versions that are like, oh, actually, that's like, you should probably do more than that. Um, so, but in in kind of the same light if you're required to do it and you're going to get fined or you're going to have some serious ramifications if you don't that tends to move needles right like that tends to get organizations to actually do something so you know kind of i'm kind of in between on it okay i think you mentioned powersploit but do you use powersploit or powershell empire or anything like that can you tell us about those tools yeah definitely powersploit uh was written by uh contributed to by a lot of people, but Matt Graber, Will Schroeder, Jared Atkinson, and a bunch of other people who contributed to the project. Uh, essentially, it's a PowerShell post-exploitation framework. Uh, and most commonly known is, is something called PowerView, which is like the recon modules of PowerSploit for Active Directory. So essentially, um, like I said, PowerShell post-exploitation post framework. Um, you can run it kind of like in memory. So you just load the script. Uh, in memory, and you can run it. Um, you can do a lot of other cool things with it, but uh, that's something I use quite a bit because um, I'll typically start from an end user system, and that end user system is not IT. You know, they're just a low privilege user, and I can't install RSAT tools. I can't install other commandlets because I'm not an admin. Uh, so this I can use to kind of like enumerate and find stuff in the environment without having to install RSAT and all that stuff. So what are some things you look for? Like, what's a common thing you'd look for in the environment and find and be able to leverage? Uh, so my favorite thing right now are logon scripts. <laughs> um, because selfishly, I wrote a script that does it, uh, that looks for dangerous and misconfigured logon scripts. But I did some research into it. 
um, a little while back, and and that's something that I see is super common in in organizations is uh, log on scripts that have like credentials in them, or you know, like because they're mapping a printer, and for some reason they're mapping it with another account or a share that somebody needs access to, or a department or whatever. Um, so log on scripts is really big, and file shares in general just have a ton of stuff on them. And I always am finding you know passwords or certificates I can use or any number of things on file shares. So those are the two two big things in like an internal network that I look at. Yeah, I, I've never uh, approached things from that perspective. So it's cool to hear some of the tools and things you look for, um, PowerShell related or otherwise, because I've I've heard those um, frameworks mentioned a whole bunch in different security podcasts and stuff like that. So. Yeah, PowerSploit and PowerView, if you take any pen testing course, it'll probably feature those tools, specifically PowerView. Um, I think a lot of people in security and InfoSec, and especially people who do pen testing, um, that's like one of the first things that you learn is like using PowerView. Um, it's kind of like using Kali at this point. Um, it's very synonymous with pen testing and offensive security stuff. Um, it's a great resource. So that's on the more offensive side if we're trying to, to do some stuff. But I like to think a lot of the times with the content we do here, what can I do to help out the unempowered sysadmin who's struggling, has no budget, is juggling a million things, security is is a little tough to do under those circumstances. But could you give us some tools and sort of a, a layout of how you would approach doing like an internal pen test or get some kind of visibility and understanding of how things are in your environment for that sort of solo sysadmin type? Yeah, definitely. Um, I mentioned this on LinkedIn the other day. Um, was you know if I was an IT admin, this is kind of what I would do, or or I would make a webinar about it. <clears throat> but um, essentially, I think you know the way I do pen testing is I I approach it from a sysadmin perspective. So I approach it from the perspective of I'm on a system, and I'm looking for all the ways that bad things can happen. So. There's a number of tools that I recommend people use. And whenever I talk about it, these are some of the tools that I recommend all the time. Uh, the first one is Pincastle. So Pincastle is like an Active Directory health assessment tool. And it finds a lot of low-hanging fruit. And it can find a lot of different uh, issues. And what's great about it is it's free to run in your environment. <laughs> um, so everything that I like mentioning and offering to people to use is free. Because I don't like telling people like, hey, go buy this, you know, $4 million EDR and you'll be fine. Um, so Pincastle is great. It can find certificate issues. It can find delegation issues. It can find issues with group policy and things like that. But Pincastle is great. Um, it's just a simple binary that you can run, download and run. Uh, it is actually being used by threat actors. It's been in... Uh, threat intel reports and kind of defer reports before of threat actors using it. So much so that some EDRs are actually blocking it now. So I'll be on a pen test, right? I'll be doing it, but I'll drop Pincast on the host. I'll go to run it and it'll get blocked. It'll, like The EDRs will actually prevent it from running. So it's getting to that point where there's a lot of people using it now, uh, and especially threat actors are starting to use it as well because it gives so much information. Uh, so Pincastle's one. Another free tool that I recommend people use is Bloodhound. Bloodhound uh, is kind of an attack path mapping tool. And essentially, you just run the collector in your environment. 
it collects all the information about Active Directory and groups and users and computers and servers. It will, if it can, it will gather logon information. So it'll show where domain admins are logged on to a non-domain controller, which is really key. So it'll find all of this information and it dumps it out into a pretty map and you can like click, click around and do fun stuff. So um, that's another one that I recommend people use. That's really good. Can find a lot of links. I've heard great things about it. Okay, so you you run Ping Castle, you sort of identify some stuff for the, a bunch of stuff in the uh, environment, then you follow it up with Bloodhound, which sort of gives you some paths you can sort of take and see some more stuff. Domain, you said domain admins logged into non DCs. Yeah, so something that's uh, I talk a lot about with clients, it's kind of like tiered administration, and that's because a lot of times we see domain admins or somebody who has you know, more rights than they, they probably need that are logged into a non-admin you know admin machine or a non-DC. So the, the, the scenario goes like this. Um, you know, Susie in accounting has an issue with her computer. IT admin Joe is like, hey, I can help you. Uh, they log into the machine somehow or, um, you know, whether it's they, you know, they sneakernet it and they go over and they log in with their account so they can run stuff or install new software, troubleshoot it, whatever. Well, now that admin session is, is cached on that machine. Um, because of that, you could potentially, one, steal those credentials, steal a hash, or steal a token and impersonate that user. So now, if you're a threat actor on that machine, you can kind of impersonate that admin, which could be pretty bad. Man, I think there's some value in just this admin sort of going through the whole a hacking process to sort of see how all these different things are used, sort of where they're found in the environment, um, even if they, you know, don't become a pen tester, just to sort of get that visibility and understanding. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, I talked about like the Hitchhiker's Guide. Um, I would start with Pincastle and address, there's a lot of stuff on there that's kind of like, it's just uh, hygiene stuff, you know, like your forest, your domain functional level you know, being not on the latest, right? Like not necessarily a security issue, although there are new security features with the, with the newer functional levels, right? But, you know, there's a lot of hygiene stuff on there. Uh, so I would go through and identify all the stuff that's the most important and fix all those and just run Pincastle every quarter until you fixed all those things, then have a pen test and then see where you are. And Bloodhound, similar sort of cadence? Yeah, definitely. I think... Um, if you have tiered admin accounts, especially if like that's what you're moving to, that can be great to kind of find those outliers of where there are misconfigured, um, misconfigured groups, misconfigured, or just admins logging on to, to places they shouldn't, but also can kind of help you find, you know, strange delegation issues. So like one time on a pen test, I saw where the everyone group had full control over the root of the domain. Like the root forest, everyone had full control, right? Bloodhound is able to find that and say, oh, this, this user has full control over this. It is outbound object control is what it's called. But essentially, this group or this user has control over this other thing. So um, <clears throat> another tool along that line is called a deleg, which I forgot to mention in... The, like the notes that I sent over and stuff in the links, but a deleg is another free tool. It's just a delegation viewer for Active Directory. 
And I found numerous issues using that tool. Um, and essentially, it just shows you what I described with Bloodhound, so that Bloodhound can kind of do the same thing. But this is a nice like little tool that you can say, okay, I look at the everyone and see what their you know outbound uh, delegations are. And that's a that's a quick win that you can use as well. Awesome. So I think that before proceeding with running this in your environment, you may want to just make sure you know your boss is aware or whatever procedure you have. Um, but you can sort of create like a consistent cadence because it sounds like for a lot of people, if they aren't on this path at all, there's probably going to be a lot of uh, tasks and tickets generated that you're going to have to address. It may take some time but by sort of consistently doing it. You sort of can see the improvements, measure them, and hopefully become more secure. Yeah, I would definitely have a plan for it. You know, there are some of those tools will generate a lot of noise, like Bloodhound. If you run that, not only will it, it get blocked by your EDR, um, but it's going to raise a bunch of alerts. Um, so that one, you definitely want to, you know, make sure everybody knows what's going on. And like you said, that's a good point is you're going to have findings from that. Right. And you need to be able to tackle those and, you know, be able to triage those and, and fix those. So if you, if you don't, you know, don't, you know, go out and run all this stuff and like dump all the reports on it and be like, Hey, here you go. Fix all this stuff, you know, work collaboratively, you know, with those teams. And, um, I think that is, is a good approach. Yeah, I think it's a lot easier to do security things when you have some form of cultural buy-in to like, hey, we're working together. We're not the enemy. We all want to be more secure. Um, yep. Yeah, and I, I spoke about this a little bit on on my podcast with somebody uh, about kind of the team dynamic. And a lot of times, and I experienced this myself, was I was a young buck, like IT admin going into security. Like I wanted to like, stuff right i want to make the organization more secure so what do you do you you cowboy and you fix stuff right like you know that's that's the the, the mental framework i was in was like there's an issue i know how to fix it so i'm just gonna go fix it uh the problem is uh you know production systems rely on that thing that you just uninstalled so <laughs> it's probably bad um so you lose trust that way so i quickly learned that that's probably not a good approach i should probably like communicate with the different teams and like say, hey, what are we using this for? Um, is there a plan to upgrade it? Um, you know, what can we do to kind of like mitigate this, this issue? Um, that's how you win trust. That's kind of how you build relationships better. Um, and, but it's hard. It's not easy to have those conversations and say, hey, like this thing's broken. So. Yeah, I think we found that a lot in episodes with people. The limitations with getting things done in orgs isn't technical oftentimes it is about communication and collaboration like it's a people problem that needs to be addressed by like good communication good culture good practices um good security standards awesome well can you we're sort of talking about it a little bit you mentioned it there a little bit but can you expound what is the hacker mindset because i think it applies to so many of us who would find themselves listening to a powershell podcast <laughs> yeah and i don't i definitely don't want to speak for all of the the pen testers and hackers out there but i will share my thoughts on what it is and, and what it means to me right um so what it means to me is like i used to um i used to build my own computers so i would you know, literally buy all the parts. I would screw the motherboard on. I would put the thermal paste on. You know, I'd take things apart, put it together. <clears throat> that to me is a little bit of like the hacker mindset. So, you know, 
learning to understand something by kind of taking apart, disassembling it, or just putting things together. I think that's part of it. I think that's that's part of the hacker mindset. Um, I think curiosity is a big part of that too, of just being curious how things work. And you know, if I throw some input over here, what happens? Or um, if I run this command over here, you know, what's what's going to break? Um, so I think that's a little bit of it too, is the curiosity side of things, um, being curious of how things work, how they can be abused is part of it. And then I, I think also, you know, hacker culture, I think was a little bit countercultural, right? Like kind of revolting, kind of going against the grain kind of thing. That to me is a little bit of it too. Kind of like that, uh, that um, I don't know what the word is for it, but kind of going against the grain, right? Like swimming upstream or just zagging when people are zigging or, or whatever. It's like doing some things differently than the way that everybody else does them. And I think that you can find a lot of inspiration that way and kind of by doing things differently, you, you have different outcomes. And, um, but that to me is a little bit of hacker mindset, what I, what I think about it, how I feel about it, what I you know, identify with. Nice. I like that a lot. One thing that just came to me is that you, know, you, you highlighted a lot of really cool tools and there are some very helpful tools. And I, I found that for me, whenever I think of security and they explain, you got to get this and that and this hash and this kind of thing, I'm like, man, there's no way I could know all that. <laughs> but the truth is there's a great community and fantastic tools. If you know what to look for and know the tools, there's a lot of uh, stuff that can make it a lot easier and, and make it so it's not like you have to be wizard level. Yeah. And it's definitely not all about the tools, right? Um, something that you know, I got easily caught up with when I first started was like, it was just about, I know I need to run this tool and then I need to run this tool and then this tool. Um, there is a methodology behind it. There's a, there's a reason why we use the tools that we use and, and how we use them. And that's a big part of the, like the pen testing stuff too, is knowing what's the right tool for the job, how to use it effectively, you know, how to use the output from it. And that's a big component of it as well. Now, I have a mutual friend with you, Sam Erdy, and apparently you all work on some module together. Um, I, we've talked about the locksmith module before, but just to let people know about it, what is the locksmith module and how can they use it in their environments? Yeah, locksmith is great. Um, it's, a, it's a tool to find misconfigurations in Active Directory certificate services and certificate templates. And kind of like its claim to fame is uh, that it provides remediation snippets for the, for the findings. So uh, not that everybody would want to run it, like you discussed with Sam on the show. Um, you know, I, me being a sysadmin, I would never run somebody else's code and I'd test first and make sure everything's good and take a look at it first. Um, but uh, it is there and it kind of shows how you can kind of remediate those things. Um, and it's super cool. There's literally like i think like one dependency for it was starset tools um if i'm remembering right i might might be wrong on that but um but uh, you just install module locksmith you run it uh it will give you you know what the issue is it'll describe the issue so it'll say like esc1 it'll say what the issue is it'll say the user the group the certificate template so it has all the information you need there to go and and look at that thing and and fix it Nice. 
Yeah, definitely a good easy win. And I think that you've covered a bunch of them, but just those small tidbits and tools that you discover, and all of a sudden you unlock a world of potential when all you need to do is install a module, figure out the readme, and you have some great data to be able to work off of. Yeah, Sam and, and Jake are tremendously awesome people, and it's been really fun working with those guys on that project. Uh, we meet like once a week and we just shoot the breeze, sometimes talk about Locksmith and like new features and you know stuff like that. Um, so I definitely am uh, super appreciative of that. Jake tweeted out one time, like, hey, this locksmith thing. I was like, yeah, I like that. And, you know, came to be, um, the other thing I was going to say was, um, with the tools, a lot of the stuff, like I said, you know, the hitchhiker's guide locksmith is free. Pincastle is free. All these things I'm mentioning are all free things and they don't take a lot of skill to use. Right. Uh, if you know how to kind of handle the output and that stuff, you can, learn on the internet well i have a question about some industry trends all right so we talked about assume breach which is something that i've heard and hear more and more often which is awesome i remember there was like the whole red team blue team and then there's purple team and it's more about them kind of sort of collaborating on securing the environment which has been cool i think that's a trend we see in a lot of spaces including like devops where it's like developers operations sort of coming together to work for the common good um, excited to see that but do you see any other trends in security sort of that'll become more popular in the future? Yeah, stuff that comes to mind, my mind, I, I said a little bit already, is like Blue Team's EDR security tools are getting better. Um, as much as we go into environments and there's a lot to, to work on, we equally see um, you know, organizations that are doing really well. They have really sophisticated uh, security tools. They have sophisticated and very capable teams. So things are getting better. We are moving forward in my perspective. Um, the other thing I think is interesting too is while there are zero days, there's like mass exploitation of these big things, we're still having issues with social engineering, right? We're still having issues with password spraying and brute forcing, right? Microsoft got compromised from a password spray. Like how? Uh, so that's an interesting trend to me is like the more things get sophisticated, the more they don't in a way, <laughs> you know, that the non-sophisticated stuff works. It seems like the time to exploit those like zero days is getting quicker, right? From the time an issue is identified and like it's released or some research is released to the time there's like mass exploitation seems to be getting shorter. Um, I don't have any like data to support that. Just kind of anecdotally, that's kind of how it seems is like those mass exploitations are happening faster, it seems. So that's concerning. I don't you know, necessarily know how we approach that, but it's something I seems like it's happening. Do you like the CVE system that we have? You think it works well? Um, I don't know really how to answer that. Um, <clears throat> that's tough. I so I have I found an issue in Webroot. Um, and I you know it's on my website and people can go look at it. Um, and there's a CVE for that. It was relatively easy from like, the standpoint of of doing that. Um, I don't know how effective it is. I mean, I guess it's good to be able to track those vulnerabilities and have an identifier with them. Problem is it's not applied. It doesn't seem like it's applied consistently across the board. So for example, all the cloud issues that we've had and the, the uh, you know, the, all the vulnerabilities that have been discovered and researched, like there's no CVEs for any of those things. So we can't track any of that stuff. So. I think it. I think it's good and bad. 
bad, but I don't know. I, I don't know like where I fall on that, to be honest with you, like good, bad, indifferent kind of thing. Yeah. I think that uh, one thing I'm sort of excited about is that because there are so many easy things we can patch up, there's a lot of room for growth. And if we can get empower more of those people who are responsible for maintaining the systems to sort of start configuring things and start being more aware, I think we can make a lot of headway uh, with just the general security posture of the world. Yeah. Oh, global. I like that. (laughs) Awesome. So you're a content creator, man. How does that feel? What's your journey been with it? Because you were telling me you don't really feel like one, but I see your stuff, man, and it's top tier. Yeah, I mean, I'm just following a model that others have have done before. And before the show, uh, I shared. I follow Gary Vee a lot. Gary Vaynerchuk, who's like a marketing guy, business person, or whatever. But he produces a ton of content. He's a so, yard sale aficionado, I think. <laughs> yeah, he's the yard sale guy, the mug life guy. Um, it, some of you may know him as um, businessman, entrepreneur, marketing, et cetera, et cetera. But um, so his kind of content model is: you have pillar content. And then you chop that up into smaller pieces. And that's kind of how you produce content for social media. So that's kind of the approach I've taken is I have a podcast with Secure IT 360 that I produce. And you know, it's a long form podcast like this. And I take you know snippets of that and that's what I kind of create social media content from. Um, how I think generally, um, like I said before, I don't necessarily create Uh, a ton of content. I just have that podcast and then I kind of post-produce it from there. I like the approach you have to clipping it into shorts. That's what I've been thinking of for a while and just have started kind of starting the convos about getting that to be part of our publishing process is like cut some stuff out. It just, it's a lot easier for people to get value from a 30 second insightful comment that, you know, if they choose to listen to the whole episode, awesome. If not, at least you gave them some value there. And it's a little bit more exciting than just reading a post that redirects you to another site. Yeah, because you know, I think about myself. Like, I don't listen to entire podcasts. Like, I'll start listening to one, and then I'll get busy, and then I'll move away, and then I'll never come back. So, I might listen to like seven minutes. Might listen to thirty minutes. I never listen to the whole thing usually. Um, And I think many people can resonate with that. So, there's probably a small portion that listen to every second of a podcast. But you know, people. There's so many people. There's like a billion people on LinkedIn. I don't know if people know that. Like, there's a billion people on LinkedIn, and because of supply and demand, if you put stuff on LinkedIn and people like it, it's going to go far and people are going to see it probably more than they would see the original podcast or like the original long form, uh, you know, produce content of that. So yeah, I think the strategy for me is I rewatch it. Um, and I'll just like skim through my episode and be like, Oh yeah, I like that question or I like that section. I'll just cut it and, you know, throw it up on social media. Nice. And I'll have a link to your LinkedIn and you're on Twitter as well. And you know, I have a huge takeaway from this little thing we just talked about, man. And that is if you see Spencer or I on social media posting some form of short video content, give us some support. Give us a like. Let us know what you think. (laughs) Give us a comment. Give Spencer a follow. Great fellow, friend of the podcast. Definitely going to have to get you back on sometime. Um, But yeah, man, I'm, I'm excited to start delving into that world. It's just for me, you have to have like a plan for it. Cause if I'm just using the creative energy I have, like, oh, what should I do? It's like, oh, I've worked all day and done meetings. I don't, I don't have too much of that. It is hard. And that's, that's why I don't necessarily like 
take time to produce content specific for like YouTube or specific for TikTok. It's all just like reproduce stuff because it does. It takes a lot of inspirational like energy to to produce content and even to do something like this. Like it takes a lot of emotional like energy to to have a conversation and to to be you know quick witty and witty and and like quick on your feet and think and talk and all that stuff. Um, but uh, you know it's fun. I enjoy it. And, uh, yeah, I appreciate you know what you guys do um with your podcast uh you have so many good guests like everybody can learn like literally so much from every episode um you know it's just such a great podcast and, and great community of people so super awesome yeah it's, it's cool and you know a lot of people in powershell are also in security and i think people who are proficient in powershell and sort of have gotten to a good level they're great candidates to make a transition into security as well so a lot of overlap there. I do have a question. What is PowerShell Sharp Pack? Yeah. Uh, so PowerShell Pack is another repo that I really, really like um, by Fabian Mosh. And I'm not sure if I'm saying his name completely right. Um, but uh, so he's got a repo called PowerShell Pack. And essentially it's C-sharp programs or C-sharp tools uh, for pen testing offensive security that he's kind of combined into a PowerShell script. Um, so he's essentially uh, gzip compressed. So the, the takes the binary, gzip compresses it, base64 encodes it, and loads it into a PowerShell script. Um, so you can load C-sharp um, programs uh, in memory that way. And I use that repo a ton. I use a number of those tools in there. And I you know create my own using that same method. But uh, that has helped me tremendously in my pen testing is using those tools just from a PowerShell way. I think it's uh, time for our final segment, which are our unique questions. They work. We had a different name, but I'm supposed to get weird with them this year. So the first question is, all right, you're on an engagement, man. Headphones are on. Fingerless gloves are on. Keyboard is lit up. You're going to town, man. You're, you're going to get into this environment. Um, what are you listening to in the heat of the moment at the most intense pen test of your life? What is in your earphones? Excuse me. Um, let's see here. <clears throat> I'm going to bring up my Spotify playlist. I will tell you what my playlists are top to bottom. <clears throat> so I have a mix called Point North Mix, Ooh. which is Point North is a band. Um, I have a Never Tell mix, which is Never Tell is a band from Florida that I found on TikTok. They have like a handful of songs, but they're all super good. These are all kind of like ED, uh, kind of like emo slash punk alternative type rock type stuff. But uh, I also fancy some OAR, some Red Hot Chili Peppers. Nice. Um, so I kind of venture down that route. So it's usually one of those playlists. You know, I, I traditionally like emo slash alternative pop or um, punk rock type stuff. Everybody, anybody's familiar with Blink-182, right? Um, that kind of stuff um, from my, my teenage years. But uh, a lot of times, honestly, it's silence when I can get it. Um, I have a bunch of kids. I work from home. So silence is like gold to me. So if I can pen test all day and be in complete silence, lately, that's how I'm rolling because like, I don't get it 
very often. <laughs> nice. Just a clack of the keyboards, little tactile feel. I like yeah. it. All right. This isn't really a consistent question, but I just got to ask you, man, because I'm curious and I like this stuff. Are you into like hack the box or pen tester lab type stuff? Do you think that's a good option for people who want to kind of start getting their feet wet and have some fun with maybe a little bit of background experience already going into it? Yeah, for sure. Um, I don't do hack the box, hack the box uh, as much anymore. Um, I, I think it's awesome though. I think CTFs in general, and anytime you can kind of actually do things like actually put your kind of training and your skills um, to, to, to the test and the concept of like applying what you've learned, um, I think is great. And hack the box is one that is really good to, to help you kind of develop like that curious mindset. Like what if I go over here or, you know, here's this website. I know I have to get in somewhere on this website, right? Um, where is the thing that I have to find to, to get in? Right. Um, so I think there's a lot of benefits to hack the box and stuff like that. And I'm a big fan of it. Um, I personally don't do a ton of it. Um, I'm more so if I'm training and doing stuff, I'm more so in a lab, in active directory environment, kind of like messing around windows world type stuff, not necessarily doing like a lot of Linux or, um, Kali like CTF type stuff. Right. So you're mostly using PowerShell on windows, not on Linux. Yeah. But what I will say for those CTFs, I've had a lot of fun um, running them from a Linux machine and trying to use PowerShell where I can. I think I've done a couple blog posts on it. Maybe I'll put them in the chat where I sort of go through the beginner exercises and then do them in PowerShell, um, which is one thing I like. If you find yourself on a Linux box and you have PowerShell, you're right at home uh, in terms of navigating things, uh, which for me is nice. I don't want to learn additional languages, but you do need to learn some other tools. But that's the beauty about PowerShell. You can run other tools from PowerShell. All right. I got a question for you. You're talking to somebody, they have a PowerShell background, they know a little bit about AD, or maybe a lot about AD. They've been working in it for a while. They sort of want to make a transition to security, maybe pen testing. What advice do you have for them? Or what sort of pathway would you lay out? Yeah, the first thing, I get this question a lot in my LinkedIn DMs because LinkedIn is, is exploding for me. So I get like, you know, everybody um, DMing me like, mostly it's like, hey, um, do you want to buy a certification? I'm like, no, no, thanks. I'm good. <laughs> um, but sometimes it's people generally asking questions um, and I happily a answer. My very first question whenever I hear that is, what exactly do you want to do and why? Um, I got into this field because I was generally curious about computers and kind of messing around and like breaking stuff, fixing it, like finding the flaws. Like I like digging, I like the research side of it. I like poking around in file shares for like seven hours a day looking for that one thing that I need to, to move forward. I love that. You know, it's a thrill of the chase for me. Um, what I always ask people is like, why do you want to do it? Or what is it that is piques your curiosity about this specific thing? Um, if it is pen testing, I recommend uh, definitely hack the box. I mean, it's de definitely great training and, and they have an academy there that you can go through that does a lot of, has a lot of training, especially Active Directory and Windows. Still have a ton of that there. Try Hack Me, another one that you can apply like hands-on learning with um, and really just doing stuff like having a lab if you can afford it and kind of messing around, doing stuff. It's really to me about figuring out exactly what you like and figuring out that you don't like it as quick as possible <laughs> too is another thing. Like maybe you don't like it. I don't know. Maybe you thought it was something and it wasn't. Um, so I think you can figure it out by actually doing it. And I think that another great way is check out your podcast. 
It's a good way to uh, <laughs> yeah, tie things up, get an idea of what the perspective is like from someone who is in it, sort of learn some terms and, and see if it's a good fit. But I think that for me, there's just so much great security content out there and finding some way to get involved in the community. And so you don't feel like you're just this isolated person tackling this huge mountain of security knowledge, you know? Yeah, I will say that's that's a great point because if you ask a question on Twitter and you're like, hey, InfoSec, and you ask a question, people are going to answer answer for sure. And there's tons of people that will share their knowledge and information. Um, <clears throat> people you've had on the podcast before, even, you know, on your podcast, you know, talking about stuff, you can tweet them, you know, or X them, whatever the kids are saying these days. Um, tweet them a question, they'll probably answer. You know, there's a ton of people that do that about Azure. Microsoft, Windows, PowerShell. Um, I think the community, you know, security community, PowerShell community, everybody is very welcoming. And as long as you do your research, and you guys talked about this on another episode, is like as long as you do some of your research and like the legwork, you still can't figure it out. Like, ask that question. I think people are very welcoming and, and happy to share their expertise. Yeah. You want to make sure you're identifying which specific part you have a question about, not just like, here's problem, how solve. Yeah, don't don't make somebody uh, you know tell you to go Google because that makes you feel bad and kind of makes you look like you didn't put the effort in to learn. Um, but once you've done that, yeah, ask away. And you know what? I think everyone gets one. I think everyone maybe maybe for me it was yeah. so long ago. It's okay, you can do it one time. But we want to be asking things the right way because we want to get help and, and get our yep. problem solved. And you got to communicate or, really. Yeah, or just say, hey, I'm being lazy and I don't want to look. <laughs> you know, just be yeah. honest, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right? Like, yeah, a lot of times though, just a little bit of advice can go such a long way and save you hours of hitting yourself with your keyboard. Yeah. All sure. right. Last question for you. You see young Spencer early in his career budding. What advice do you have for younger you? You know, maybe some things you've learned that you wish would have been helpful if you learned sooner, some principles, what? I would say without a doubt, unequivocally, uh, Learn and and get better at all the soft skills. Way and they're way more important than the technical know-how of like actually how to do things. Um, I think how we communicate, how we present ourselves, how we how we talk with other people, um, you know, like the, all those soft skills things. Those are things you kind of hopefully learn as you get older and you get more wiser and get more experience. If there's any way that you can kind of expedite that learning process, um, I think that will benefit you more than just learning, you know, a technical skill right out of the gate. So if it were me like talking to my younger self, I'd be like, hey, self-awareness matters, accountability matters, like having gumption and ambition and all those like, you know, core soft skills things means a lot. Communication, um, you know, empathy and and all those like cheesy like soft skill things. Um, I think matter a lot, uh, and I think they can can help you professionally, personally, and and everything in between. Um, and then you can learn the technical stuff, you know, from a YouTube, from a training course, you know, whatever. Yeah, that's great feedback. I love it when my guests say what I want to say because that is, uh, <laughs> I love it when I'm interviewing someone and eventually that sort of becomes one of the takeaways they had in their career. Like somewhere along the lines, they realize like, wow, this is sort of a communication issue. And uh, I like to highlight that, man, those skills are so important and they result in you gaining more money once you get them. 
Um, like I think some studies show that, you know, those skills get rewarded nicely. Um, and it, it is pretty important because you deserve to be able to be in a position in your career where you're able to communicate and sort of be self-aware and not sort of feel like you're an outcast. And, um, yeah, and it helps you. Yeah. And it helps you feel better too. Like, honestly, if you, um, if you can empathize with the person you're talking to, you might feel that the news you're delivering is bad news. Like with our pen test reports, like we're essentially calling their baby ugly and we have to find a way to deliver that news gracefully so that, you know, they don't get defensive about it so that we can, you know, figure out a solution to the problem. You just go in and like, yeah, this thing, this thing is really bad. And you're like joking around about it and like very nonchalant. It's not going to come off very good. So, you know, having some tact and like realizing that there's a way that you can deliver that information where hopefully they don't get defensive um, is, I think that's an important skill to have. Yeah, I think that understanding the perspective of who you're talking to, being empathetic, and making sure you craft your message in a way where they can take away what needs to be taken away from it, not be distracted by distractions or, or things that you could, you know, make it less efficient. So yeah, great soft skills. It's efficient. I like to highlight we love PowerShell, we love automation and efficiency. It is right in the same category of being so efficient. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, man. This was a blast. Before I say officially thank you. Like, comment, subscribe. Give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or your platform of choice. You got feedback? You got questions? I got answers. PowerShell at pdq.com. Let us know what's up. You can find me on LinkedIn and stuff. Andrew Pla, I'm on X, Andrew Pla Tech. You can find me on the Inner Circle on Discord and the PowerShell scripting channel, discord.gg slash pdq. But let's get real. Spencer, fantastic talk, man. I had such a blast. Thank you so much for joining us. I appreciate it. I know you're, you're weathering the cold here, but you still showed up strong for us. So I really appreciate you joining us, man. Yeah, thanks for having me. Like I said at the beginning, uh, I'm super humbled uh, to be on and to be invited on. I know the guests you've had on the show, super awesome. Um, I definitely don't feel like I stack up to a lot of the people uh, that have been on the show from a career perspective and, and what what they've done and contribute. So I'm aiming high to, to hopefully meet that mark and, you know, contribute what I can to the community. Uh, I just appreciate it. Appreciate the chat. Um, it was super awesome being on talking to you and you do a great job, by the way, I like super high energy and I love like kind of like your vibe on the, on the podcast. So super awesome. And the last thing I'll say, uh, before, uh, I finish is, uh, I forgot to mention PDQ in my like intro of a, but I used to P use PDQ a lot um, from my help desk job, sysadmin job. I would create inventories for like specific configuration issues. And then I have a B PDQ deployment script that would run and it would automatically like set a registry key or run a command or like fix something. And it was kind of like to prevent configuration drift or like it kind of like a poor man's desired state configuration, if you're familiar. Right. Um, and I set that up and it worked great and I loved using it. So I, I'm a big fan of PDQ. And uh, just a little plug for for that because uh, it helped me tremendously in my job in IT. Nice, yeah. It got me into automation and then PowerShell and automation. It's just a good fit. So appreciate you sharing that. And I'll say, you said you don't think your career stacks up, but I'll say, man, you're living the dream of so many people, right? You're a pen tester. You do public stuff. You know yourself. You're a good communicator, man. It, it was a pleasure speaking with you. I appreciate it, man. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me on. All right. Thanks, everybody.
Thanks for listening to the PowerShell Podcast. The PowerShell Podcast is a PDQ production, making device management simple, secure, and pretty damn quick.